I'm Dan. And I'm Alex. Hello. Welcome back to the On Air podcast. How's Hello. I, I'm good. I, I think my voice is pretty much back to normal. You have been traveling, right? Finally. Yeah. So after a nice solid three weeks of no travel, which was the first three weeks and the longest stretch of no travel this year. So it was very, very nice. Uh, I have flown to central London for work meetings. <laughs> flown to so central there might be London some... specifically. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I have flown to London and I'm in central London. You're right. You're right. Because Heathrow is not in central. So I have flown to Heathrow and I'm in central London for work meetings, hence any London ambience, aka sirens and horns that you might hear outside during this podcast. I think I just got so used to, even last night while I was asleep, I was thinking, how, how, how can I hear everything? Like the, even the most decent of hotels have not been able in central London to crack the whole solid, solid soundproofing so that I can't hear every time someone drives past High Park Corner, you know, blaring <laughs> some unfortunate song. It's yeah, uh, some yeah, unfortunate anyway. song. I, I don't understand that. It's the same in New York, obviously, where some of the apartments that are millions and millions of dollars, still you'll hear like screams and sirens every two minutes. And it's like, surely there's a better way to isolate this. If airports and airplanes can isolate noise, you guys can do it right. as well. Being in London, I have to ask. I was going to ask you last week. Yeah. Have you watched any of the last season of The Crown? Well, for two things. Firstly, I thought you were about to say I have to ask about the weather. No, I I'm not was, that boring. It took my breath away as to how cold it felt when I arrived. I don't know. I think because I didn't do much Europe recently yeah. at all. And uh, uh, freezing. <laughs> Absolute freezing. Anyway, to answer your question, yes, I have watched two out of four episodes oh. of the last season of The Crown. So the first four have already dropped, haven't they? Yeah. The next four will drop in December. Isn't it? I mean, okay, I think the third episode is my favorite than the fourth, but isn't it just okay, like well, I, I didn't love season five, but this season is just like, wow. And the girl who plays Diana holy yeah like incredible i know i can't not see that it's not diana right like, for me it's for yeah. me it's just it that's diana it it's is not, diana it, it's crazy uh, those first two episodes i thought were so incredibly strong that i'm excited that all my friends keep telling me no episode three is where it gets good or episode three and four so i mean obviously we're not talking about storyline because it's you know it's based it's, on yeah what has happened it's based on the truth um, it's just the the way in which it's presented and visually and and scripted and I think it's just phenomenal. But I have always liked The Crown. But you're right. I think the the previous season before this season five was very very ardy, very very. Oh, I just spoke to you in Arabic. Not, yeah, I was like, what, what very very. Uh, <laughs> it was very very kind of like normal and okay, just yeah. Fine. And so now we're back to the good stuff. Yeah. Anyway, highly recommend yeah. to everyone yeah. who wants to download it for a future flight. After yeah. listening to the podcast, yeah. of course. Yeah, I had a, a gentleman called Ali message, really, really pleased that we had read out onto the podcast that he was listening to us in the Q Suite quad. And he sent me that picture. Remember oh, I told you yeah. of us on his iPad. He said that it made his day. So, yeah. Well, listen, continuing on from last week's episode, 
right? <laughs> and I still know nothing because we have not spoken and yep. we have not spoken deliberately so that I can hear this for the first time with everyone else. You went to Kenya. What on earth happened? Because <laughs> I told you, I received messages from you about about something to do with an, an arrest, something to do with jail, something to do with gunpoint. <laughs> yep. And, you know, it's easy for me to roast you and laugh and say, haha. But in that moment, I was messaging like, is this serious? Like, do you need, are you messaging me because you need assistance? What's going on? <laughs> you tell me everything's fine in the end and that you're going to explain to me on the podcast what's happening. Dan, you have the floor. What <laughs> the hell happened? So now we have shared the story on YouTube. I have spoken about it with my therapist. So I am ready to talk about it here. <laughs> it wasn't, I mean, I it wasn't. It's supposed to be us and then therapist that way around <laughs> yeah it, it wasn't like in a weird way it wasn't that traumatic but anyway what happened was oscar and i obviously vlog many places we go especially when we're traveling so we were in a shopping mall like one of nairobi's most famous shopping malls just walking around recording ourselves talking about where we were going next and a security guard catches us just recording ourselves, literally nothing strange. And he go, comes up to us and he goes, you know, you're not allowed to record in here. We go, what? No. He goes, yeah, there's signs everywhere. We go, where? He's like, they're everywhere. They're, they were nowhere to be seen. <laughs> so we're like, okay, okay, no problem. We'll delete it. He's like, no, no, no. You're not deleting that. You're coming with me. And we're like, here's the video. We'll click delete. It's no problem. And at that point we were with... So Oscar has like a um, friend from school who has a boyfriend who grew up in the biggest slum in all of Africa, which is in Nairobi. So he was going to take us there to show us or yeah, show us around his old home after we were at this mall. So they thankfully were with us, but they were sort of like quite far ahead. So when all this was happening, they weren't there. So we were just kind of like, OK, we don't want to run away from the security guy, but we really want to catch up with our friends so that, so that we have some support you're following so far i am and i'm super curious about like laws in kenya yeah. over like the legislation to do with videoing in public and photographing in yeah. public and I i'm don't... wondering at this point is this something that you check before you travel given this is what you do no, no we never check in it's it's definitely not right. a law in kenya that you're not allowed to record in public it's no like privacy thing i think it's just this specific mall and some malls have policies that you're not allowed to record for for some reason so right um we well, we, we know of, what the reason would be i mean it would be to you know for privacy right i mean we later learned that there was like a terrorist attack in a mall in 2013 so it seems like they don't want anyone sharing any of the inside of any of the malls which doesn't make sense because what difference does that make in terms of an attack? People can still go there. But anyway, we sort of, with the security guard behind us, we're like speed walking up to our friends. He was like, where are you going? Where are you going? We're like, our friends are over here. So finally we caught up with them. And our the local guy who we were with was talking to the security guard, trying to you know calm him down. He took uh, Oscar's phone and he was like, here, I'm going to delete it. And at that point, he clicked delete. You know how on iPhone you click like the rubbish bin and then you have to confirm. Yeah. So he clicked the rubbish bin thing. Yeah. The guard grabs him, bends his arm 
So he's like, ah. And then he's like, he starts shouting, don't delete, don't delete. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So it was escalating into physical violence. And we're just like, okay, okay, we'll come with you to the police. Like, it's fine. Such an unnecessary escalation. So at that point, we're just like, well, this is going to be an adventure. So he leads us to the police station, which is part of, it's like a section of the mall where the police have a room. So they take us into this small room with two guards with machine guns, two police with like full on automatic weapon machine guns. They sit us down and they go, so the security guard explains to them what happened. They take our phones, they go through our phones, they're watching everything we've recorded as we sit in two chairs. Un- how are the phones unlocked? I mean, they forced us. They're like, show us, show us what you ha- what you took. And we're like, we it's know not there's that nothing. scenario like they're holding the phone against your face for face ID. No, no, no. Or, it or wasn't like, like that because right. we knew there was nothing weird about what we had recorded. So, yeah. you know, we're not saying anything weird anyway. So we're sitting there across from them. They're not actively pointing their guns at us, but their machine guns are laid in their lap in the way that they are aimed right at us and they're both of them have their hand on the trigger so they're literally we're like mm, hope those guns are secured yeah so we're sitting across from them they're going through everything we've recorded and then they go give us your passports and we go mm, we don't have our passports they go okay what's your hotel so we tell them our hotel they say okay we're going to send an officer to collect your luggage and your passports from your hotel we're like what um, the F is going on? Okay, wait, on? pause, pause. So what's going through your head at this point? So <laughs> they've, they've, they've rested their, they've rested their guns kind of like angled in a way in which you know that it's pointing at you and they've got hands resting on the trigger. Yep. They're going through your phone and they're telling you that they're going to get someone to go and get your passport. I mean, it, when when <laughs> does fear kick in? And also, what are you fearing? So <laughs> in my mind, I'm just like, I know that all they really want, they want two things. They want to go on a power trip and they want a bribe. Like, that's what this is about. They don't care about the safety, obviously. Mm-hmm. They just want a bribe. So I was telling them immediately when we got in there, like, just tell us what the quote-unquote fine is and we'll pay it. But they wanted to go on this long power trip. So I just kept telling them, you know, we'll delete it. How could you have we'll confidence? How could you be... <laughs> How could you be confident that this was about that? That this was just no money's going to get us out of this. Like, it's fine. I mean, I was trying to use logic because genuinely we did nothing illegal. Even if the mall has a policy against recording, as far as I know, still, there's no actual law in Kenya that says you're not allowed to record. So I, I was thinking these police were just like abusing their power. Finally, we're like, okay, you can go to our hotel but we have photos of our passports. It has all our information on it. We can show you photos of our visa. Finally, they settled for that, which that was a huge relief because if they had had our physical passports, we would have obviously felt so much more vulnerable to what's going to happen. So we're just like, again, I'm like, you know, just let us know what we need to pay. The main like interrogator, she's like, why are you in such a hurry? You're not leaving here today. We're just like, oh God. Um, okay. In the end, the, our, I still think you sound pretty <laughs> chill here. Like, I, yeah. I understand. So, so, so now they've just told you, in addition to everything else, you're not leaving here today. <laughs> are you still not thinking, consular assistant? 
embassy. Actually, I wasn't thinking that's I should have thought that. Jail. No, I was just thinking, let me text yeah. Alex. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I want to make it clear in this story I, I want to know the exact moment you then decided to text me <laughs> of which I'll embarrassingly admit my first response was ha 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 yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> to which then I thought wait maybe he's not joking he's yeah. going to Kenya okay <laughs> in my mind even while it was happening I was thinking this is such a bizarre situation that Whenever we get out of here, which hopefully isn't a matter of all day even, let alone several days, this will be like mm. such a great story because WTF is happening right now. So luckily our local friend and his girlfriend are also there, but they're mainly interrogating us. They are being so horrible toward her boyfriend, though. He's the only black one there. And it's so clear how racist they were treating him, even though they were all Kenyan Shit. as well. They were like being so physically aggressive with him. Everything they said to him was like in a yelling, aggressive tone. While with us, they were more like questioning. So we just felt so, so bad. Isn't that, I, mean, I don't know, wouldn't it? Wouldn't most people think it would be the other way around? Kind of yeah. like the local guy would have, would have had the easier I know. interrogation or the, you know. Yeah, which, so, well, sadly, was not the case then after about 45 minutes of just sitting there and we don't understand what the weight is like again they're just trying to show us that they have the power to keep us there and to intimidate us and how far are you how far are you from your hotel at this stage mm, like 20 minutes by car so it wasn't super close and how far are you from where they originally kind of swooped you up know, like a couple hundred Accepted. meters it wasn't it wasn't that right, far okay Okay. So okay. at that point, the woman, so the main like interrogator completely switches and she goes, so what is Sweden like? Because she's been checking our passports. He's we're from Sweden. So I'm just like, OK, this is my chance to bullshit this woman and make her think we think she is the greatest person ever to like basically and the Gothenburg. Yeah. It's going to sell Gothenburg as this global <laughs> hub of tourism and business. Open, exactly. open to her. heard about Visa Gothenburg? free. <laughs> no, so yeah, I'm like, funnily enough, she hasn't. <laughs> so I'm like, this is my chance to charm my kidnapper in a sense. So I'm like, Oh girl, let me tell you about Sweden. So I open my phone. I start showing her. Can like I just say, <laughs> if I was there and you had said, oh girl, let me tell you about Sweden. I'd be like, you know what? Lock him up. Take him. <laughs> Take him. <laughs> yeah, that would have been the Take him. Let me tell you about Gothenburg. <laughs> Not again. So uh, <laughs> I start showing her photos from Sweden. I go, listen, one day you have to come visit us. We'll show you around. You'll have a great time. Like, all this obvious complete bullshit while in my head I'm thinking you disgusting person I, I show her like pictures of my cousin's baby that, that's like in all these winter clothes and she's like how do the babies survive when it's so it just turned into the most bizarre conversation and in the meantime our Kenyan friend is trying to resolve everything to the point where we can pay a fine they don't want to let us leave so they agree to only let him leave to withdraw cash we got away after about a little more than an hour, paying a bribe of $35, just a little physically fine, a little mentally not fine. And of course, in the end, they didn't even make us delete the videos. So that shows that they didn't care about the videos at all. It was just a power trip bribery thing. And, and then we went to the slum, at which point I texted you 
to explain what happened. And you know, I I find that at airports, all everywhere around the world, it's happened in the U.S. It happens all the time in Europe. Some cranky employee comes up to me. You're not allowed to record here. And back in the day, I used to be like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, now yeah, I go, oh, okay. Can you show me where that rule is written? And it always, <laughs> every single time, uh, it puts them in their spot. And not, there is nothing uh, more satisfying than seeing them crack because they have no idea where that non-existent rule is written. It's happened in the U.S. Uh, chocolate cake is more satisfying than, than you know, <laughs> nothing more satisfying. No, nothing be, because, more satisfying. Because these people are crack. so, like, why come up to a stranger and just yell at oh, them no. for no reason, especially if they're not even being recorded. So then putting them in their spot. And there was actually a, a situation in the US I read about, it might've been earlier this year last or last year, where a vlogger or some guy was told, yeah, you're not allowed to record. So he pushed them to the point where he got taken in for to be interrogated. All these people got involved. Like I think half a dozen people were involved. And in the end, after all those hours, they couldn't find anywhere where it said you're not allowed to record. So all of them were proven wrong. It was a huge headache, but he made a video about the whole thing. Where was thing. that? I think it was New York. So, yeah, okay. somewhere. Okay. And it was so just like... Somehow they're going to have the confidence to... Yeah. Yeah. So he had the confidence suddenly... to go all the way to prove to all of them that they were just making yeah. up some rule and... I think that's important to remember when like it's a different thing on planes, but at airports, if you're not at security or immigration, people love to make up rules for some reason. I know it's true. They, the, you're right that in the ecosystem of an airport where they think that most travelers have airport brain, don't get me wrong. Many travelers do have airport brain. You know what airport brain is Well, you know, where they get to the airport, passengers get to the airport and they forget their very reason for the existence of being on this you know, planet. And they, <laughs> they don't know anything. And they stand at security and stare blankly at this empty tray. And it's like, what do we do? <laughs> and, it's like, and, and that's why that's why you've got this ecosystem of then officers shouting like, take everything out your bag. And it's like, hold on, hold on. Everything is a bit much. But and they start <laughs> taking everything out, their keys, the wallet. I'm like, what? are you doing just take the liquids and the laptop anyway um so they take advantage of that by then inventing and creating these rules i can remember we're checking in for an easyjet flight a stansted once oh there was 14 alone and uh, I, I went to get the boarding pass i was traveling with hand like a journey and she said to me you have to check in your bag please because uh it's a different aircraft operating today. no she just said you have to check in your bag please because uh when that bag doesn't fit into the cabin that of your plane I said, yes, it does. He said, no. I said, and I put it in that, you know, the example, the, mm -hmm. the mock-up thing that you check if it fits. I said, look, plenty of room. She said, no, 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 this is based on the 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 planes that we have, but we're using another plane today. I was like, uh, that's why you're wrong, you know, because yeah, we have ways of confirming these things. And believe me, 14-year-old Alex didn't just know the aircraft type that he was flying, you know, the registration, the where the aircraft was coming in from, you know, mm -hmm. the flight crew, the lot. Okay, I, I said, no, it's an A319, just like every other A319 in the fleet of EasyJet. It's not being operated by another carrier. There's no wet lease arrangement. They're not calling in any ACMI, and the aircraft is not being flown by another operator to operate this flight. 
So yeah. I'll be taking this bag on. She stares at me blankly and she leans past. She leans, she kind of gestures past me. Next. I'm like, that's what I thought. Um, the, heat the other thing you reminded me of when you said about the thing, did you ever own Heelys? Oh, those shoes. Yeah, the trainers with wheels. No, no, no. I, <laughs> I was the king of Heelys. <laughs> of okay. course you were. From when they debuted in the UK, in one store in the whole of the UK, it was called Skate Attack in North London, and they don't exist anymore. I had Heelys, I think I was eight, or nine and airports were the dream to wear them <laughs> because of the floor surfaces, the flat escalators, you know, the travelator things, yeah. the, the the heels, the everything. Oh my God, nothing made me happier than when everyone would be crowding around the flight information displays and it says, you know, it says uh, Madrid and it's like gate revealed in two minutes, gate revealed in one minute. And then it was like B33 and everyone starts running. I'm like, see ya, <laughs> just scooting straight through zigzagging. I was so, so confident on Healy's. I would never be so confident now because now I'd be like, what if I fall? What if yeah. you just, you just fearless, aren't you? When you're young. Right. And I was so confident and it was it was amazing. I, I loved it. And and then occasionally you'd get like people, you can't do that in here. Yeah. Um, really? That's what it says. It specifically prohibits. They didn't even know what <laughs> I was says, wearing. It was, it was. There's a list. Don't, don't get no me wrong. <laughs> yeah. No trainers with wheels integrated into the, like, don't get me wrong. But two years later, many places had started to explicitly ban them because they became more common. When I was wearing them, they, people didn't even, un, people did not understand how I was moving that way because you could not see <laughs> because it had two wheels on each trainer. You could not, the trainer just appeared flat. It was just raised literally a centimeter above, yeah. above ground. So you look like you were standing flat, but somehow racing through. Don't picture like these clunky trainers that look like um, roller skates or, you know, something so obvious where you can see the wheels. They were legendary. I <laughs> loved them. I wore them for years. There wasn't a time I flew. I used to sit at the very front of the cabin and I'd be like, I'm going to go to the lavatory. Of course, what lavatory did I choose? The rear. So when the aisle was clear, I'd stand at the top <laughs> at nine years old and go gently glide straight down to the rear lavatory of the aircraft. And ladies and gentlemen, it was amazing. This episode is sponsored by Healy's. <laughs> Well, I wish because they stopped making them in adult sizes, right? And they stopped uh, making them. If they made them in adult size now, they're one wheel, which is awful because your whole, uh, the whole, your whole foot has to be angled upright, some awful 90 degree angle, which I, I'm not doing. And uh, <laughs> but let me just tell you, if they, this is a, this is a message directly to the manufacturers or to any competing manufacturers who want to make me the same trainer. If you can come up with what I had when I was eight years old, this Healy that was perfectly flat, just raised slightly with the two wheels. I will be at every airport wearing them, make them something that looks good with a suit or with athleisure <laughs> or something. I'm your guy. Okay. As some air show anyway. just rolling around. I'll wear them everywhere. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll wear them everywhere. They're amazing. On that note, should we roll into the news? I like it. I like it. Let's do it. <laughs> In some breaking news, Today, Wednesday, when we are both recording and publishing, it has been confirmed that Saudi Arabia's Sovereign Wealth Fund will now move to acquire a 10% stake in London Heathrow Airport. This is big 
And this comes off of the back of one of the large European infrastructure companies selling a 25% stake. They have a 25% share right now in Heathrow. They're selling it. So Saudi Arabia will be acquiring 10% and Ardian, which is one of Europe's largest private equity firms, they're going to take the 15%. It's significant. Obviously, the Saudi move is getting a lot more attention. Uh, I've, I've been getting some reaction from airline CEOs, airport CEOs, from different aviation authorities globally. It's getting a lot of reaction because Heathrow is one of the most important global hubs on earth in terms of uh, uh, an international airport. And Saudi Arabia actively, we've spoken before, aggressively diversifying its economy by moving away on its reliance on oil and instead using all that money that it has made from oil to now just investing in everything from golf to airports, to brands and hotels and beyond. So they're now going to take, subject to a regulatory approval, of course, but I think that it seems they're going to get it, a 10% stake in Britain's hub airport. Isn't it ironic that now Singapore, Qatar and Saudi Arabia own like 50% of Heathrow combined. All the countries have yeah. or are building incredible airports. But since Heathrow is not in their countries, it's like, mm, well, let it continue sucking. In my opinion, it sucks. <laughs> well, it's but, funny because Heathrow is Heathrow is loss making, and it's loss making for a variety of reasons. How is it loss making? Some debt, some, it, currently, it is loss making, um, and 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 that's it, as I say, it's for a variety of reasons, but not least because of a debt that it's currently currently uh, currently having to to deal with. But but it's true, as you said, the the owners now. I mean the Qatar Investment Authority, that's the sovereign wealth fund for the state of Qatar, remains one of the largest shareholders in London Heathrow Airport with 20%. As you said, Singapore Sovereign Wealth Fund is there. Australian Retirement Trust, that's 11.2% <laughs> owner. There's something cute about that name, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, it, the, you know, the fact that the airport has remained loss-making this year is, is just mainly due to the higher costs that they say is for servicing the debt burden that they have just been saddled with for for a long time, combined with a rise in interest rates. And those interest rates are affecting, you know, people and companies and huge organizations like Heathrow Airport. So, you know, it's not making the money that they hope to be making. However, over recent years, it has made money, especially prior to the, I'm speaking specifically prior to the pandemic. And it is one of the most strategic key airport hubs, despite all of the issues and problems and, and delays and strike action and the fact that, you know, this doesn't work on any given day. The fact that the the fact that I mean, OK, OK, I know I've spoken about this before and I know you're going to agree with me. I have been in London. How many days now? Two days. Why is everything filthy? Everything. <laughs> I mean, everything. Don't ask public. me. Why? <laughs> I don't understand how how st it's just got dirtier each year. Uh, I'm just talking pavements, things like that. Why is it that, you know, you go into, I had to go into a government building. Actually, it was a UN building, but it's owned by the UK government. And I'm walking on the stairs and I, I just, I, I'm looking at the stairs thinking, can nobody else see this? They look like the last time they were cleaned was when they opened this building 150 years ago. Why is everything dirty? So Heathrow, I had that same kind of reaction when I arrived. It's that usual. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Everything's filthy here. Yeah. But 
Then you have the nicer parts that they've put the, you know, there are nicer parts of Heathrow that they've put the effort into, like Terminal 2. Terminal 5 starting to look a bit grubby. Terminal 2 is not bad. But yeah, I mean, no matter what, it just remains a complete strategic investment. And this is a clever move from the Saudis. Another amazing thing, actually, well, not another amazing thing, but an amazing thing that happened yesterday from Heathrow was the world's first 100% sustainable aviation fuel powered flight from London to the US, right? Yeah, so it was actually back to one of your hometowns. It was to JFK. New York. Oh God, he's doing it again. Possibly an even dirtier airport and place than London. Yeah, that's true. Say New York in a New York accent. New York. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It sounds like you're saying like egg yolk. <laughs> egg yolk. Listen, I'm going to grab a coffee yeah. down the block coffee. with my grandma. Yeah. And then she's going to tell me about... Sound, now to me, you sound Italian-American. <laughs> I mean, that's the... I think yeah. that Italian-American slash New York-American, New they kind of yeah. combine. Yeah. Well, to go back to uh, to, to this, this thing, Virgin Atlantic yesterday, as you said, became the first to fly, transatlantic flight powered by 100% SAF. So sustainable aviation fuel, we've spoken about before, haven't we? It's that main tool that's going to help aviation decarbonize. This is not really a Virgin Atlantic story. They were merely the operator. The vessel. It's not really a, a Boeing story either. I think if the attention needs to go anywhere, it needs to go to Rolls-Royce, the engine manufacturer, that has been able to develop an engine that doesn't require significant, or in some cases, in fact, in most cases, even any modification, and have the engine powered by sustainable aviation fuel. And what is SAF as it's you know, abbreviated to. On this flight yesterday, it was mainly that from cooking oil, so used cooking oil, and it's mixed with a synthetic kerosene, and it's that blend that means that, so the, the fuel made from waste products plus the small amount of synthetic kerosene, so made in a lab, clean, green, clear in color, actually, means that over its life cycle, like the CO2 life cycle, they can reduce emissions by up to 70%. Almost from the get-go, if every flight were to have this 100% blend. It's significant, and I absolutely applaud the fact that this has happened, because it is one of the only ways in which aviation is going to be able to decarbonize. It's using the sustainable aviation fuels that come from plant waste, come from cooking, cooking oil, come from all of these different pathways to achieving SAF, combining it with the synthetic kerosene, which is actually from plant sugars and plant proteins. So even that is, is a form of, of waste. And all of, all of the kind of natural oils and fibers that are in the food chain gives it that 100% blend. It gives it the function and the ability to be compatible with, for example, a Rolls-Royce engine on a Boeing 787. And then you have reduced emissions. And, yeah. th and that's, that's, that's the journey that we're on. It's so cool at the same time as it makes me feel like this is such a daunting prospect because basically aviation is 2% of global emissions. Not a lot in the grand scheme of things, but even being able to have SAF on every single flight to reduce emissions by 80%, would require trillions of dollars in investments. It's just, yeah. it feels like such an insurmountable task. Like, you know, we talk about mm, Elon Musk could pay off 
all the student debt in the U.S. and still have billions yeah. of dollars left, that type of stuff. But now it's like this is something that not even all the world's billionaires could solve. And this is only 2% of global emissions, which makes it feel like... And oh to put God. that into context, like you're absolutely right, because if I go, like I check their life prices all the time. If I'm in LA right now, oh, LA makes another mention of... <laughs> if I'm in LA, that, you know, second home. <laughs> I if The reason I'm mentioning LA is because LA is... Uh, apart from being one of my favorite places, okay. is also <laughs> one of the few places, one of the few places on Earth that produces sustainable aviation fuel. Of course, a lot of SAF is produced actually in your region in Scandinavia, up, up where the IKEAs are. <laughs> and they, in, in if I was to refuel in LA, I would be offered two options. So for my standard jet fuel, jet A1 kerosene, as it's known, it would say to me, okay, yesterday's price, $1.53 a gallon. Great. Okay. But if I want to be sustainable, the same company can offer me sustainable aviation fuel. You know, lower your emissions, Alex. Have your aircraft fly cleanly, greener with a blend of sustainable aviation fuel. And the reason all flights are not having 100% sustainable aviation fuel currently is because it's not certified. So that's what this flight yesterday was. It was a test. It was a trial. Because so far, if you're flying... None of you are flying on aircraft. None of us are flying on aircraft that have 100% sustainable aviation fuel. The most that will be on the aircraft right now is about 10%, but it's probably mm. less. And that's on very, very few flights. I mean, there are very few airlines actually doing this because we're still early in the journey. But to go back to, to the pricing in LA, where they make it, $1.53 a gallon for usual Jet A1 kerosene. Do I want sustainable aviation fuel? Sure, I can have it. $7.50 a gallon. Who's paying for that? Who is paying for that? Five the airlines don't want to pay because they say, they, the airlines say, right, we're not paying because we're not the ones with the big green climate uh, ambitions. It's our government. So the government, so they say it's government, you subsidize us, you pay for it. Governments point to the energy companies who produce this sustainable aviation fuel and they say, well, they've just made multi-billion dollar profits in the last quarter alone. They can lower the price. The energy companies say, we will only lower the price when we start seeing significant demand, of which we haven't seen any demand. No, no shit, because the prices are so high. So they say, okay, uh, let the airlines pay. And it's that Spider-Man meme. You know where it just got yeah, all pointing yeah, at each other? Yep. It's that. Yeah. When I was reading so about it. this, I was thinking, how about instead of investing in Heathrow... Saudi Arabia could do something to change its public perception and make people think positively about it by saying, hey, Riyadh Air, for example, will be only powered by SAF. Not only would that be a plot twist for the oil nation, but they could also afford it. They obviously have money. So someone has to start. Someone has to pour a lot in. Why doesn't Riyadh Air in Saudi Arabia do it? I'm just throwing that out. We do have listeners. We have listeners from Riyadh Air. So Riyadh Air. We will be claiming this as, uh, as, <laughs> as credit to us if this is something that comes about. At the same time, I would not be surprised if something like this happens. But two points on that. First point, no airline is certified yet to use 100% sustainable aviation fuel. But Riyadh Air could do something like, say, we, uh, our flights are going to have you know the, the most amount of sustainable aviation fuel on board in terms of the blend with normal fuel. Uh, yeah. than any other airline in the Middle East or any other international carrier. They could be clever with how they say it, and it would be great marketing. And they're already great at marketing the airline that doesn't exist. That's point number one. <laughs> point number two, their CEO is Tony Douglas. 
He is the former CEO of Etihad. He is the one that was there when Etihad kind of had this like, do you remember that green face? Yeah. The Dreamliner, the green liner. Of course. Yeah. Everything going green. Of course, it, it came back to uh, to haunt them a little bit when they were slapped with greenwashing fines from Europe and the UK. However, it is a priority for Mr. Douglas. And so maybe that's a conversation they're already having at the boardroom. Please do it. That would be amazing. One yep. other quick headline. I know I know we have so many things to discuss. It was just crazy to me. I also didn't tell you that after the Kenya thing, I flew a saf- well, I was going to a on a safari. So I was thinking, "Oh my god, Alex is going to die." Because mm. I was on board a Dash 7 that was 40 years old. The interior. Sorry. <laughs> I, okay, here we go again. <laughs> I know you heard me. The interior was like something out of, I was like, wow, is this the Soviet I Union? I don't know why you do this to yourself, <laughs> honestly. It was it's like, just it was fly a plane that is younger than us, for goodness sake. <laughs> it's like you actively search out the oldies. Yeah, this this was rough. I was thinking, oh my gosh, you guys would die. But yesterday... I think it was yesterday, two safari planes on the same day crashed at the same airport in Tanzania. Did you read about this? No, I missed this. Yeah, it's so they were flying. um, Actually, let me check what the airlines were, but they were both Embraer 120s, I think. So an old plane as well. Um, They happened at Kikoboga Airstrip in the in some national park. So the first one basically had problems with its landing gear. The landing gear collapsed and the airline or the airplane slid off the runway, was basically destroyed. Luckily, none of the 30 passengers were injured. Then a different airline operating the same plane type just a few hours later is accelerating to take off when the nose gear collapses and the plane fly or it wasn't flying. It just veers straight into a building. There's smoke everywhere. Luckily, again, no one was injured. But the f- I don't know if that's ever happened before. Two completely separate hull losses, what I imagine this will be, where the planes become unusable on the same that's day crazy. in the same place. I- I'm reading about it now. So as you say, in both scenarios, absolutely everyone was fine. And, and that's, you know, thank God. And then the statement says, the Tanzania National Parks Authority, in collaboration with the Regional Defense Committee, and all stakeholders in aviation and tourism is now working to address changes in the travel <laughs> plans of the affected tourists to minimize inconvenience. It's like that the report I've just read, like, thank goodness they've survived this. Yeah. And the, the statement moves straight to saying, sorry about the inconvenience uh, there. Uh, gosh, <laughs> what a way to well, start or right. end your safari. Yeah. But thankfully, God, that horrible. didn't happen to me on my rickety old that's Dash horrible. 7, um, which felt like hmm, how's this gonna hold together you know the dash seven has a physical wire from the tail to the nose of the aircraft yes. when i saw yes. that i was like so you mean to tell me someone could just take a scissor 
and cut this and we would lose like some communication okay. with the can back we not, of the plane. like give people ideas can we not go into hypotheticals please because <laughs> this is yeah that's yeah. but but you're right it just those things go through your head and that is an incredibly old aircraft but it doesn't surprise me because this is kind of the the planes that you actively you know seek that out I you love. just pretend it's you know oh i just yeah exactly i was thinking i'd be on a on a cessna then i show up and i'm like oh, four engines four propellers <laughs> what is this i've just realized i've maybe said the s word about four times today in today's episode now i'm wondering are we going to be slapped with an explicit sticker on spotify <laughs> Uh, well, I think we'll decide if <laughs> we'll see. No, I don't think we get to decide. I think they decide. Is the S word that bad? I don't know. I mean, we'll find my out. Book, no. Maybe this will be our. Yeah, let's this see. Will be the explicit. If it says explicit, it was. It was only that. Yeah. Okay. I assure you, there's nothing worse coming. Anyway, <laughs> well, unless of, Dan tells me another. You know. <laughs> I just have, sorry. Go on. I know we have news, but. Speaking of L.A. and Virgin Atlantic, I wrote down, I had to tell you, after I read this news yesterday, I guess this is what inspired it. I had a dream about Virgin Atlantic last night, and it was the most Angelino dream ever because so I got on board and upper class, although upper class in my dream was like one row with the upper class seats and then three economy rows and then another upper class seat and then another three economy rows. It was very weird, but. What? That sounds like Lufthansa <laughs> Allegris. <laughs> right. No, so in my dream, what, what was amazing about Virgin Atlantic apparently was I took out the menu and it's a full on book. I open it up and I'm like, Oscar, there's a whole page just with different kombuchas in the menu. And then I turn it, Oscar, there's a whole page with different freshly pressed juices that they make on the plane. That was my literal dream. And I was just like, this is the most Angelino <laughs> dream I have ever had. Speaking of, that's funny about cold press juices. You know where we met at Evergreen in, in yep. Doha on the Pearl? Evergreen now, their cold press juices are loaded onto uh, many Qatar Airways flights, including the flight that I came on, the A380 that I came on from so Doha to London. That's what I had from so Singapore. Cold pressed juices. Singapore yeah. to Doha. It, I had some. Did you have the thing. Expo menu, the yes. special Expo 2023 menu? Yeah, it's that. That's that's that's. I love it. Juices from. Oh my Evergreen. gosh. Yeah. Now he yeah, needs to so start good. loading their vegan food, and will be good because. Mm, yeah. We need some of his avocado toast on board. Can you imagine? Yeah, yeah, there's a new one, Cherry Toast. It's amazing. Mm. So good. I just had that before I left. <laughs> okay, elsewhere, we had a few, a, few, uh, a few different points in the news. Ukraine have claimed that Russian aviation, through their own intelligence, through Ukraine's intelligence, that they know it to be, quote, on the verge of collapse due to the sanctions. Now, they said that they know this after a successful hack, and they have been able to monitor different movements and different goings on across Russia and of course due to the sanctions that are hitting Russia as a result of the invasion into Ukraine Russia is unable we know to fly into Europe to have their aircraft service here Airbus and Boeing teams are not able to be dispatched and deployed there there can be you know there there are always always tiny ways around it but but on the whole we knew that the package of sanctions that were announced by the European Commission and by the UK and the US and so on, the intention was to cripple Russia's aviation sector, which of course is an aviation sector that is still ongoing, but there are huge questions around maintenance. And Ukraine have said what we all 
suspected prior, which is that Moscow is sending aircraft for maintenance in Iran, where the work <laughs> is carried out. You know, it's bad. Kind of at the, <laughs> yeah, the work carried out at bare minimum without any appropriate certification. Now, we know that Russia and Iran have a relationship, and there are sources within the sector that had told me a few months ago that they were sending aircraft to Iran for maintenance, which is not a sentence you hear often because Iran struggles with its own maintenance for its own fleet of aircraft because of the sanctions that is hitting Iran from the US ever since Trump pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal and those sanctions return. The, the reality is that Iran cannot service its fleet, right? That, that's just in a nutshell. It struggles to, and everything is like a bare minimum kind of solution. Most fact that it's now doing planes. that to one hundred is almost one of the oldest aircraft fleets in the world, Iran. Okay, they're operating the oldest aircraft fleet, in addition to having the weakest maintenance because of the lack of spare parts supplies and so on. And Iran struggles. So the fact that Iran are actually servicing Russia. Is just kind of having that ironic spread as a result of the sanctions. It's it's a complicated thing, but I mean, this it's, is a claim from Ukraine, of course. So we have to, you know, take it as a claim from Ukraine. Yeah. But it is believed in the wider aviation sector that this is what's happening. I mean, it, you look at United. I feel like every or every other time I fly them, there's like oh, tech delay. We need to check something many of these airlines especially with older fleets have so many problems so i can only imagine after almost two years of war and sanctions the state of aeroflot's fleet and the fact that all these countries you know lovely thailand unfortunately um sri lanka of course the gulf are allowing aeroflot to continue serving their airports when it's the obvious safety risk to anyone yeah. flying on that plane it's a risk for the airport to have that plane landing and taking off there it's just all around like mm, is this something we should be doing yeah you're absolutely right well look we have quite a few questions to get through so let's move over to those questions now chris says on instagram loving the podcast on your last show you mentioned the difference in weighing scale so i thought i'd quickly share this story at Stansted, Ryanair check-in, flying to Valencia, my wife, two-year-old daughter, and myself chose to queue with what looks like a sweet older lady. After a long wait, we head up to the desk and turn to each other as we realise that the sweet old lady got out on the wrong side of the bed after a refreshing read of the Ryanair manual. <laughs> so, luggage on the scales. Sorry, you're four kilo overweight. You've got to pay. My wife being Dutch, paying extra is not in her vocabulary. <laughs> so... So we proceed to get out the way and unpack the suitcase. We take out very little, just a pair of jeans and a couple of t-shirts, and we wait in line for another agent. Cue a much nicer, friendly check-in person. Suitcase on the scales. We're now two kilos under. Doesn't mm -hmm. make sense because we definitely did not take out six kilos worth. My wife, being Dutch, puts everything back, back on the scales, and now it's bang on, meaning there was around a four kilo difference in the scales. We mentioned this to the nice check-in agent, and she says maybe the grumper older lady did not reset the scales as she should have done so. Joking aside, we then had a mad rush to the gate with a two-year-old, which is never fun. However, what Chris is 
proving another real life example of what we had spoken about in the previous episodes, remember, where we had said, if it looks like you are overweight on one scale, pick it up and put it on another scale because seven times out of 10, you'll get an entirely different reading. If they have not reset the scales, recalibrated the scales that morning, they can screw you over for excess luggage weight. And yet, it can be nothing to do with you and everything to do with their old infrastructure that they didn't bother to reset. <laughs> should we make it a thing lives. like, should we make it a thing like the the pick and slide or something? the on air pick it like you take your suitcase yeah, and slide on it on air. over to the to the next yeah belt. so the the on air slide over it's like or the on yeah. we need to come up with a better one by next week yeah maybe the you guys can something, send us suggestions that yeah give us suggestions of what you think we should call the on air act of an on air listener that doesn't get screwed over by excess baggage charges and instead picks up the suitcase puts it on another scale, gets a lower reading, and is therefore able to proceed <laughs> and it's so successfully wind. feeling like a G-O-A-T. That wasn't necessarily a question, but it was, you know. We're happy to share these people. stories too. I, lo I love Yeah, of course. No, um, no, please. I love it. Get in touch always with them. So Max says, uh, Dan and Alex love the podcast. Good job. Do you guys actually pay attention to safety videos? <laughs> I do. Yeah. Do you every I mean, I know single what time? I know. I, I can... Like, let's say you're, no, you're watching... No, I'm on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so there I'm you go. Phone, so. I no, do. But I, 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 dip, I, I dip in and out specifically. You know the bit I dip in and out? Just, 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 just quickly note, where am I? Okay, the nearest exit is behind me. Just that part yes. is the bit that I dip in and out. And that's, that's because, I mean, I can do the safety video in three different languages. So <laughs> I feel I'm covered. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Uh... Same. I, I check the exits. I check actually if the crew is like engaging, like because they're supposed to be standing at the front to point out exits. So I kind of note if they're doing what they're supposed to be doing in that respect. But otherwise, yeah. if it's a yeah. new airline, I enjoy seeing the safety video. But if it's not, then, yeah, I don't need to watch it unless it's one I really like. Yeah. OK, that's that, that's fair. I have a question on Instagram from Ali. He says, are European airlines hedging against the fuel price increases that we are seeing recently? Thank you guys and loving the podcast. So I took some quick notes for this to be able to, uh, to, to read to you on air because it is something that I actually was speaking about on BBC Radio a couple of days ago. Crude oil has hit a high of almost $94 a barrel. I mean, that was shortly after what happened in Gaza, right? And the situation with Israel and Hamas. And it's now eased to around $80 a barrel. But this is expensive. And aviation is inherently exposed to just about everything. But a fluctuating fuel price, given that fuel is the number one operational overhead for an airline, is something that can be make or break in terms of profitability, financial health, and so on. Many airlines are hedging and they are hedging their way into 2024. So I'll quickly take you through some examples. Air France are, quote, quite sufficiently hedged for the next six months from now, well into the new year. Air France as a group, Air France KLM, have hedged 70% of their jet fuel consumption for the fourth quarter of this year and for the first quarter of next year. And they are hedging at 129 dollars a barrel basically hedging to those that don't know you're, you're locking in 
a price that you'll pay per quarter for fuel rather than being too exposed to the swings of the fluctuating oil price, especially with what's going on. In a time of conflict, it pays off to hedge. In a time of stability, sometimes you end up paying a lot more because the fuel price can be much lower. And so it's just the, the, the decision that you have to take. And that's why you don't tend to hedge all of the fuel that you're buying. You just hedge some of it. EasyJet have said yesterday that they are hedging 76% of their fuel needs for the first half of 2024 and 51% for the second. So they're already basically locking in their fuel pricing for all of next year. They're hedging initially at an average cost of $109 and then the second part of the year at $104 respectively. It is higher than what they had reported before, but as we know, there is conflict going on and that's what's, that's what's happening. Finnair, one of your favorite carriers, Dan, said in the October uh, reporting results that I was a part of that they have been hurt by higher fuel prices and so they are continuing to hedge their fuel purchases for 12 months on a rolling basis. IAG, the owner of British Airways, Iberia, Vueling, they have hedged uh, way back from July, 58% of the first quarter of next year, 49% for the second quarter, 39% for the third quarter, 32% mm. for the fourth quarter. They are hedging. They are locking it in at around $103 a barrel. Basically, I mean, airlines are doing this, and they always do this in order to protect themselves from those external vulnerabilities, but not least in a time of conflict. And Jet2, that British leisure airline that we don't speak about much, <laughs> uh, they, they also are hedging. You know, they, they, they're hedging as well. These are not just for the, the big players. 81% of that fuel is also hedged wow. over the last 12 months. Now, I'm not going to read you the rest of the list. I might tweet this, but everyone is doing it. And they're doing it to different extents of, you know, their own risks to do with what's going on in the outside world. Lufthansa, Norwegian, Ryanair, SAS, Wiz. This is a European focus that I'm that I'm speaking about. But yes, to answer your question, airlines are actively hedging to protect themselves from those fluctuations. That's cool. Thanks for telling me that. I I'm not like super in or up to date on this. And I love that during most of what you just said, the only thing I contributed was saying Finnair. That's embarrassing. <laughs> like, you, you say Finnair. <laughs> Love you, Finnair. That's what this collaboration <laughs> is about. The honor of, you know, Dan and Alex, that's, what, that's that collaboration. Okay, yeah. your turn. So Travel for Life asks us, what is our opinion on kids and premium cabins? We spoke about this a few episodes back. I think episode nine. Yeah, yeah you can just search because it's in the show notes of the episode we spoke about. spoke about it in. But on that note, it has been fun having another week with you guys. Alex and I have a lot going on, but we will, of course, be back next Wednesday. We're always excited to get this time to catch up, to share our thoughts with all of you. And uh, please do not forget to rate the podcast, whether on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening. It's so heartwarming to us to see all the ratings. So we're very happy if you do leave a little rating wherever you are listening. We'd be most grateful. Thank you for joining us in today's episode once again. I'm Alex, that's Dan, and we shall see you next week. On air. See you later. Bye-bye.